listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Romans is an awesome book, especially about salvational stuff. And that's what we're talking about this month. So turn to Romans 3, verses 22 through 24. And if you've been around church very long, you've probably heard these verses before. They're pretty important. They're pretty big deal verses. So we're in Romans, and I would love it if you turned in your own Bible or there's Bibles on the table. Get that out. Turn to Romans. It's in the New Testament after the book of Acts. And we're in Romans 3.22. If you're there, say, I'm there. Sweet. Yay. All right, let's read from the Word of God, shall we? It says this, Righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that, Christ, that came by Christ Jesus. I'm going to read that again, but this verse is foundational. If you're ever wondering, uh, how does salvation work? Or how, how, where's a verse about how salvation works? This is, is one of the greatest verses in the Bible that explains how, right, how you can become righteous by Jesus Christ. And it's, it's an explanation of how that works. In fact, many of you, if you, you know, grew up in church, you might know of something called the Romans Road. Have you heard of the Romans Road? It's, it's basically like a tool if you're, if you're telling someone about salvation. There's a set of verses in Romans. And this is the first set of verses in the Romans Road. So I'm going to read it again. Concentrate on these words. This is, this is foundational to how how salvation works. It's so simple. It's right here. It says, righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believe, there's no difference. For all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Let's pray this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you for for giving us salvation. We thank you that that we can understand what your son did on the cross was, was something spiritual. It was something that gives us redemption and righteousness through, through, in your eyes, that we can become righteous and holy. We can become, uh, our sins can be atoned for because of what you did on the cross. And God, we're so thankful for that. Would you open up our ears, open up our mind and our heart that we might understand the deep necessity, the deep foundation, the deep theology behind what it means to be saved. And we do, God, we love you and we praise you. And everybody screamed. Amen. Woo, amen. When, when uh, I was a kid, I was raised Catholic, a little Catholic boy. And uh, I always, always preface my Catholic stories with uh, the idea that I love Catholics. And there's a lot of significant differences between a Catholic and a Protestant. But uh, there's a lot of saved Catholics. There's a lot of really good Catholics out there. I love them. And uh, when, when I was growing up, I was raised Catholic. And uh, my parents kind of dragged me and my brother to church as a little kid. Not really dragged, but made us go. Um, <laughs> and uh, I remember first grade going to, going to Sunday school, going to Catholic church. And at the end of our first grade year of Sunday school, we, I had perfect attendance for the entire year of Sunday school. I, ha- I didn't miss a Sunday. I went to all the Sunday schools, had perfect attendance. Round of applause for me. Thank you. Thank you very much. 
Uh, <laughs> and what was so cool as a kid, like at a, as a first grader, you know, the Catholic Church is very, very, very serious, very traditional. You know, the priest wears robes. It's not casual uh, like New Life. If you've ever been to a Catholic church, it's very serious, uh, like stained glass, and it's a beautiful service. And at the end of that year, I was brought up along with a few other kids that had perfect attendance in Sunday school. And here I was as a kid, just kind of thinking through, like, I'm at the altar of God himself, and I'm being recognized that I had perfect attendance, and I was given, like, a little, uh, my name is Joe, so they, they had this theme of, like, oh, let's give them a St. Joseph's themed gifts. And so we, I got this St. Joseph little statue in front of all these people, and it's like, oh, here's, here's little Joe Kirkendall, perfect attendance, St. Joseph statue. And I was just like, sweet, this is awesome. I just felt, I felt so holy and cool before God. And then another year passes by. My parents drag me to church for another year. And at the end of that year, two years, perfect attendance. Round of applause for me. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. And at the end of that year, I got uh, a little St. Joseph's uh, a, a little necklace, a little pennant that say, said St. Joseph on it, and I wore it around. I thought it was cool, and I, I kept it somewhere special because I just thought it's, it's a gift from God of, of doing what is good, doing what is righteous, and my parents continued to drag me to church for years, and I never missed a Sunday school. I had, are you ready for this? Six years of perfect Sunday school attendance. Round of applause for me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I remember I I got some pretty sweet gifts. I got one time I got uh, at the, I think it was the sixth year I got this awesome leather bound Saint Joseph's Bible that was just so cool. I didn't have a Bible, and so it was like wow. Out of you know I get the sweet Bible and I get to come in front of the church and everyone sees me and I, the, the 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 priest gives me this gift and I'm in front and and looking back if if when I was a kid at that time if you were to come up to little Joey Kirkendall and say little Joey Kirkendall uh, are you going to heaven? And I'd be like, yeah. And, and he'd say, why? And I would say, because I come to church. Have you heard that I have six years of perfect attendance? And I, in my head, in my little head of thinking, I thought, uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to heaven. I'm saved because I'm a good kid and I, I've, I've come to church. And that's, like, that's my gift to God, that I come to church and I have perfect attendance in Sunday school. And, uh, and, but I was wrong. That's not how salvation works. Today we're going to talk about how salvation works. And I really don't know how I missed that. Because in sixth grade, or maybe it's fifth grade, uh, I went to Sunday school, a little Catholic boy, and I remember having an amazing Sunday school teacher. Uh, it, was a, it was a man and, and his wife taught Sunday school for us fifth or sixth graders. And I remember them specifically talking about uh, being born again. Um, and needing to be born again and needing to have a relationship with Jesus. And I remember hearing that as a little sixth grader, but it went in one ear and out the other. And I just thought, yeah, relationship with Jesus. Yeah, I got that. I I come to church. I got perfect attendance. Haven't you heard? I'm like pretty much a record around here. (laughs) I've broken the Sunday school record, which by the way, maybe it was just God preparing me for Sunday. I mean, because right now I'm like Sunday school pastor. It's like as a kid, like it's just built. It's in my blood. Sunday school. <laughs> um, let me give you some. Here's why I'm talking about this. Uh, I came across some facts as I was doing some research for salvation. By the way, this month of Sunday school, we're talking about salvation. Here's what I found out. Uh, follow along because these percentages are a little confusing. But out of all Americans, um, there's like check boxes. What religion are you? And it's, it's the, out of the, the Barna Research Group did a survey 
and, and found that something like 80% of Americans, 80%, that surprised me, first of all, 80% of Americans claim to be Christians. And I was like, wow, that's a lot of, a lot of, that's a huge percentage. But they kind of put it in the, in the there's like check boxes. Are you an atheist? No. Are you a Muslim? No. Are you a Buddhist? No. I guess there's really no other box for, other than like Christian. So 80% of Americans check the box, I'm a Christian. And here's where it gets fascinating. Out of that 80%, only 30, 37% of that 80%, so 80% of all Americans, out of that 80%, 37% of those uh, people claiming to be Christians also check the box, born again. I'm a Christian, and I'm a, I'm a born again Christian. And here's where it gets really interesting, where it ties into what I'm talking about today. Out of those Christians that say, yes, I'm a Christian, yes, I'm born again, only 55% of those born-again Christians say that they're going to heaven because of accepting Jesus as their personal Savior. Everybody say, wait, what? Thank you. Uh, it, 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 if you think about it, it's like, okay, so if you're a Christian and you, and you check the box, born-again, don't you know, I mean... The born again, that term, you know, that's not just a term from like our media that we made up or something. It's actual words of Jesus. In John chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, Jesus is talking to a guy named Nicodemus and he's saying, you need to be born again. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. He says, you should not be surprised that you need to be born again. And what I find fascinating is this, this percentage that, that out of all these Christians claiming to be Christian, claiming to be born again, only 55% of them believe that you must accept Jesus as Savior in order to be saved. The other 45% said, oh, I'm going to heaven because I live a good life, or I obey the Ten Commandments, or because all people go to heaven, or they're not sure uh, about why people go to heaven at all. It's like, what? There, I mean, so what, I, what I'm seeing is that there's, there's some confusion, uh, gross confusion over the most basic, essential doctrine of Christianity that to be a believer, to, to, to have salvation, you must accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you're in here and you're like, oh, that's kind of new to me, or yeah, I, I guess I'd never thought about how that works, come all this month to Mill Sunday School, and we're going to talk about foundational stuff, foundation, what it means to be saved. Today, specifically, we're going to talk a lot about that. And if you're in here and you're like, man, I've, I've been saved for a while and know all that stuff, I'm gonna t- there's a few more things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how to explain salvation to someone else in this month to come. We're going to talk about the theology behind soteriology. Soteriology is a vocab term. Everybody say it on three. Ready? Soteriology. Ready? One, two, three. Soteriology is the study of salvation. That's what we're doing this month. Do you think you can handle that as Mill Sunday Schoolers? Many of you can, and you're ready to do so. First, some announcements before we jump into that. Uh, If you are newish around here, um, we don't we don't like to embarrass you. We don't make make you raise your hand. We don't uh, make you come to anything extra. We just all we would like for you to do is fill out this card, give it to the people in the back, and when as you leave that little table there, and they'll give you a free gift. It's a CD of a sermon that was preached at the mill, like a welcome uh, sermon, and some of the songs that the original mill band did. Um, and so we'll give you that as a gift for just coming this morning. And we want to say welcome. And uh, so. Welcome if you're newish. Um, shall we jump in to salvation? All right. 
in your notes, this is a skillet. It's got a guy saving another guy with a fireman carry. That's what the, he's saving them, giving, giving him salvation. That's kind of that picture. Uh, uh, on your notes, in your skillet, the first question is, what is salvation? What is salvation? And I want you to think about that. I want, so, you know, some, Sunday school is a, a little bit of a, you know, a lot of you come expecting a little bit of a discussion. And so I want you to think about that. You could either think about it on your own or think about it on your own and then discuss with some people around you. But I want you to just think through the definition of salvation. So your assignment for the next uh, four minutes-ish, five minutes-ish, is to come up with a definition of salvation. If someone came up to you and you're like, Man, I keep hearing these Christians talk about salvation. What, what's the deal? What, what is salvation? What would you tell them? And there's only one rule. Are you ready for the rule? Rule is no Christianese. You know what that means? Christianese is like the words we use as Christians that people have no idea <laughs> what we're talking about. It's like if you met a perfect stranger on the bus and, and you had to explain salvation, you probably wouldn't say words like uh, incarnation and atonement and the blood of the lamb and all these words that we understand what they mean as Christians. But I want you to, to explain salvation, definition of salvation, without Christianese. Think you could do it? I think you can. You're Mill Sunday schoolers. You can handle this. So come up with a definition and maybe chit-chat amongst your friends uh, real quick. On your mark, get set. Definition of salvation. I'll give you like one minute to wrap up. 60 seconds.
All right. Does anyone have a definition? We have we have uh, handsome single young men with uh, microphones. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love embarrassing people. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, they have microphones. So wait till till they come to you, and then maybe stand up so people can see you and, and give us your definition for salvation. And our microphone people have been instructed: if you use a Christianese term, they will take the mic away and then hit you with it. To do it. Just kidding. They won't do that. It's probably against the rules of some sort. Okay, yes, yeah, stand up for us. Go ahead. We, kinda, we found it in the Bible, so like uh, ours was um, to be rescued and have faith in God to, and to share God's love with others. So wait, say it one more time. Uh, to be rescued. To be rescued. And to share God's love with others who like might not believe in him. Excellent. I like that term, rescued. What else? We got a mic over here. Go ahead, Josh. We, uh, we came up with a couple of things. We said it's concerned with dying physically here, even though you're not actually dead. You're being set free from the worldly things around you. And at the same time, it also has a concern with the afterlife. Afterlife concerned about, yeah, that's good. That's good. So. Excellent. Excellent. Another, anybody else? Yes, go ahead. Salvation is the acceptance of Christ as your personal Savior, dying to your sinful nature and living for your Savior. Excellent. So it's dying to, yeah, di- allowing Christ, dying to yourself. It's good. Yes. Brilliant. Any, anybody else? Good stuff. Nobody? Bueller. Bueller. <laughs> Just kidding. All right. Good. Excellent. Thank you, Mike dudes. Here, here's what uh, I kind of... One more? No? All right, one more. Not very punctual. It's Matthew, my friend, though. Um, finding fellowship with a God that is unseen. Finding, say it one more time. Finding fellowship. With a God that is unseen. With a God that's unseen. So it's talking about this relationship between you and God. I think there's three parts, and, and different ones of you touched on each one of these parts of the definition of salvation. But um, just literally, salvation means to save. I mean, we get the Greek word soteria, uh, save. Um, uh, that literally means to save. You know, we, our word salvation is very similar in root to the word salvage. And when you salvage something, you're, you're taking it from trash, from the dump, and you're bringing it, you're kind of salvaging it. Maybe it's like pop cans or something. You're, you're taking cans, you're salvaging them out of the trash can, and then you're getting value from them, putting value into them by trading them in for sweet coin at the grocery store. Um, and so salvation, salvage, rescuing from the depths. So there's three parts of salvation. Uh, one part, if, you, if you're taking notes, is, is some part of being made right with God. And some of you touched on the saved idea, the rescued idea. So the first part of definition of salvation, how, however you wanted to word that, was kind of making yourself right with God. Um, a second part of the, the uh, definition that one of, you, one of you touched on was it's something he does for us. It's not something you can't work your way to salvation, but it's something that's accepting his work. So it's one, being made right with God. Two, some part of, it's, it's God's work for us. And the third part is, is we do have to respond. And some of you touched on that. And the idea of uh, dying to yourself was, was a way of wording that. Is that we do have to respond to God. There's responsibility in our decision before God to, to accept his work being done for us. And uh, 
And so th- those three parts, however, however you wanted to word that, should be in your definition of salvation. Those are the three points that I could find that were really important. Um, and so the next point on your notes is what salvation is not. What salvation is not. Salvation is not. As a kid, I thought it was coming to church. And if I'm kind of a good boy, uh, but I come to church, then I'm saved because I come to church. Salvation is not coming to church. While church is a good thing, coming to church, I mean, you're here at the Mill Sunday School. That's a good thing. You're learning. You're uh, getting discipled and, and foundational beliefs this month, especially what it means to be a Christian. It's a good thing to be here, but you're not saved by coming to church. Um, you're not saved by weighing the good and the bad in your life. Like a scale system is like you got a bunch of bad things, but maybe you've done a bunch of good things and the good outweighs the bad. That's not how salvation works. That's not how it works. Uh, salvation is not about avoiding really bad stuff. I've, I've talked to people that say, oh yeah, I'm, I know I'm going to heaven. I know I have salvation because I haven't murdered anyone or I haven't committed adultery. And, you know, they'll kind of say, well, you know, hell is only reserved for really bad people like Hitler or murderers or, you know, really bad. It's like, no, so you don't, salvation's not just about avoiding really bad things because uh, the verse that we read this morning, Romans 3.22 says that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. We'll talk about that in a minute specifically. Uh, salvation is not, uh, this next point, it's my fourth point. Uh, salvation is not just saying a prayer. Oftentimes, you know, we, we, we think about like there, there's the prayer of salvation. And if we, you know, if we repeat after a pastor this prayer, then, you know, some, some, maybe we can get in our heads that like, you know, we said this prayer and now we could go live and do whatever we want, but we're saved because we repeated a prayer at one point in our life. And that's not how salvation works either. Salvation is not just repeating a prayer, but prayer is important, right? Prayer is important with the relationship with God. And so we can't, you know, all of these things are good. Avoiding murdering someone, that's a good thing, right? Uh, Prayer, that's a good thing. Uh, Doing good deeds, that's a good thing. Coming to church, that's a good thing. But none of those things give us salvation. Uh, Another thing, salvation is not, salvation is not communion. It's not, it's, communion is a representation of receiving Christ's body and blood. It's a, it's a symbol of, of that relationship that saves you. But communion in and of itself does not save you. Uh, Salvation is not baptism. You're not saved just by being baptized. Baptism is a good thing. How many of you have been baptized just out of curiosity? Lots of us have been, I've been baptized as a Catholic little baby. I was baptized as a baby. And then when I came to, to accept Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, as a decision I made, I was then baptized again as a believer's baptism. But it was just a symbol of what salvation was. It wasn't the actual salvation process. I have a clip of a video for you. Do you like video clips? This video clip is short, so, so watch it. You'll love it. It's from Nacho Libre when he, he baptized. So this is what salvation is not. I'm a little concerned right now about your salvation and stuff. How come you have not been baptized? Because I never got around to it, okay? I don't know why you always have to be judging me. Because I only believe in science. But tonight, we are going up against Satan's caveman. And I just thought it would be a good idea if you... Felicidades. 
how salvation works. And I mean, it's, ridic- it's ridiculous to the point of, I laughed my pants off when I saw that the first time. I just thought it was so funny that, that here's this guy thinking, this is how salvation works. If I just dunk his face in some water and say, praise the Lord, then he's baptized, then he's saved. And then they could fight there. It's a movie about wrestling. Then they could fight the, this other wrestling tag team group and then win because they've been sa- saved and baptized. But that's not how it works, Right? Right, that's not how it works. And so, before talking about how salvation works, so we'll get to that during atonement. Because atonement is really how salvation works. Before we get to that, I want to give you some, uh, just some notes, if you, if you are taking notes, of the point why salvation is needed. Because if you talk to someone that's not saved, they might ask you uh, something like, well, why can't God just let it, everybody into heaven? Why can't everybody just be saved? Or why can't just you know, the good people be saved and the bad people, they're not saved? I mean, why do we need salvation anyhow? And there's two points to, to why we need salvation. Uh, the first, first idea is we first have to define what sin is. And then I'm going to de- define uh, the justice of God. So we have to define what sin is, and then we'll define how justice works and what justice means. And so sin, um, I guess this question of sin is, you know, just not, not giving you an exact definition, but just kind of using the, you know, the street terms, what's, what's a sin? Well, sin is doing something that you regret. Sin is doing something that is bad. Sin is doing something that's not good. Sin is doing something that's evil. And, uh, can you account for everything you've done in your life? Can you account and honestly, you know, before God say, I haven't committed any sin. And I think all of us, you know, would honestly say, yeah, at some point I made some mistake and I've sinned. And the problem with sin in God's economy is no matter how big of a sin you've committed, a sin is a sin. Um, there was a movie that came out a little while ago that, that had this... Uh, deal with this jellyfish and the, the poison from a, a box jellyfish. The movie is called Seven Pounds with Will Smith. Anybody see it? It's a really weird film. I won't ruin the ending for you, but uh, yeah, I will actually. <laughs> um, he kills himself with this box. I just ruined it. Sorry if you're going to watch that today. I just ruined that for you. Uh, so Will Smith kills himself via this box uh, I believe it's called just the box jellyfish. And the box jellyfish uh, has little stingers on its tentacles. And if it stings you, uh, the venom is the most deadly in all of the animal kingdom, killing at least 5,568 people since uh, the recorded death since the 1950s. That's a lot of people. People just swimming in the ocean, get stung by this particular jellyfish, and then die very shortly after. Because the venom, just a half a drop of venom in your blood will kill you. It's deadly. And so in the economy of God, sin, no matter how small, it's, it's, it makes what is perfect imperfect. It's like a poison. And if it's a half drop, a quarter drop, will kill you. And, and one of the verses that uh, I'm going to bring up later today is that the wages of sin is death. A sin that's committed, the, the, the punishment for a sin is death. And um, I was talking to a guy a long time ago that, that does prison ministry. And he goes to, he goes to prisons. Uh, he has conversations with guys. He's kind of like a prison pastor. And, and he leads a lot of men 
to Christ. And I was just amazed, like, wow, you go into prison, you kind of talk about what it means to be saved, and you're, you're seeing all this fruit uh, and ministry, all these people coming to know Jesus. And I asked him, isn't that hard? You know, how'd you get good at this? And he, he said, well, prison ministry really isn't that hard. He said, the, the people that are in prison are halfway till salvation. And I was like, what? People in prison are halfway to salvation? That doesn't make any sense. And he said, well, part of salvation is, is knowing that you're a sinner and asking for repentance. And he said, you know, when you talk to the random person, the random person on the street, you know, the random person that's not a Christian doesn't think they've done something wrong enough to be a sinner. That they, they think, oh, a sinner is a murderer or an adulterer, someone that's committed a really horrible sin. And he said, people in prison, they know they're a sinner. They're in there because potentially they've murdered someone. They've committed a felony. They've done something wrong. And so this guy that I was talking to, this minister, this prison pastor said, People in prison are halfway to salvation. They already know that they're a sinner and they're looking for redemption. He said, prison ministry is awesome. He said, it's easy. They're already halfway there. I thought, that's an interesting way of putting it. That the first idea of recognizing that you need salvation is recognizing the sin. Recognizing this poison that's in your life because of decisions you've made or choices you've made. And every single one of us have, have done something wrong. At least something wrong in our life. Right? Yeah. It's the sad truth. Number two in this idea of why we need salvation is the justice of God. And our God is a just God. And I want to say that that's a good thing. Justice is a good thing. Our God is a perfect God. And if, if we who are imperfect come before him, justice needs to happen. I remember as a kid in, uh, I think I was like kindergarten, maybe first or second grade, I went to McDonald's and I got a Happy Meal. This is back when they like gave out these boxes. Does anybody remember that? Anybody old enough? Like the old box one had a little handle and in, inside the box was like different prizes. Like everybody now gets the same dumb little prize and a little baggie. But uh, they used to be different prizes and I remember getting the sweetest Spider-Man watch in the entire world. I opened it up, there's like my sandwich and there's a Spider-Man watch. Can you believe it? It was awesome. And I put the watch on. I was like, man, this watch is so sweet. It tells the time. And I hit this button. It's got the date on there. It's like Spider-Man. It's bright red. It's so cool. And I remember bringing it to school and showing all my friends like it's a Rolex or something. Like, dude, check out this Spider-Man watch. So cool. And I went to lunch and I didn't want to get my watch dirty. So I took it off and put, remember those little desks, the little cubbies in your desk? I put it in there, uh, went to lunch, went on recess, came back, went to pull out my watch no watch. Looking around, what the heck happened to my watch? I look over, the kid sitting next to me has a brand new red Spider-Man watch. I'm like, hey, that's my watch. Give me the watch. He's like, no, it's my watch. I got it from McDonald's Happy Meal. And I was like, what? That's my watch. You stole it out of my box. Teacher, 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 he stole my watch. Teacher, he stole my watch. The teacher comes over, Look, take, gets the watch. He's like, give me the watch. Whose watch is it? I'm, like, I'm freaking out. I'm like near tears. It's my watch. The other kid's like, it's my watch. Um, if, if the teacher was like a just teacher, like, remember, have you ever read the story of King Solomon? It's like, where she's, it's like I, I'm going to cut the watch in half and then I'm going to cut the baby in half. And, oh, don't cut it in half. It'll give it to him. She didn't do that. She said, she turned it over and said, which one of you can tell me what's written on the back of this watch? And, uh, and the teacher, so she's looking at the back of the watch and I'm like, I have no idea what's on the back of the watch. Who knows? And the kid's like, it says made in China. 
And it said, made in China. So the, the teacher gave the watch to him. And I'm just sitting there. I remember being in tears. Like the kid stole my watch. Justice was supposed to happen. The teacher was supposed to give me back the watch. And she didn't. Because he happened to know that it was made in China. I don't know if he was guessing or if he saw that or what. But he got the watch. And then later that day... I don't know why he did this, just to even more prove that it was his watch. He took a permanent marker and wrote his name along the red strap of the Spider-Man watch in permanent marker. It's like, I don't even want it back now. I was ticked. So I called for justice. You know, the teacher, I remember this. I mean, as a kid, it was a really big deal in my life because it was one of the first times, you know, that I, I needed justice. And the teacher, you know, was supposed to, you know, provide justice and give me back what was mine. And it didn't happen. I remember being really disappointed and how excited I was about the watch. And then it got stolen and then given to this kid. And he wrote in permanent marker. I was just really disillusioned with justice. Why didn't that happen? Well, you know what? God is a just God. God knows our hearts as well. On, on <laughs> You may think this is weird, but I still kinda, I'm like still a little mad about that watch. In heaven, when, when that kid gets to the judgment seat, God's going to ask him about that watch. Like, you stole that watch, didn't you? Yeah, he did. And there's going to be punishment to pay for that kid that stole my watch. And, and if, he, if, he, if that kid, he's probably 30 now. That's how old I am. He's probably 30 now. He probably forgot about the watch. Who knows? Maybe he's sitting somewhere right now wearing it. So mad at him. <laughs> but, if he, but sin, God is a just God. That's a good thing. And when sin is brought before God, God says, I, I, you know, God is a perfect God. God is a just God. And punishment has to be uh, retributed for sin. And the Bible says that the wages, the punishment for sin is death. And so let's look at um, atonement. That's the last point in your notes, this idea of atonement. And uh, out of all the theological words that Christians have, you know, so many words are come directly from the Greek or the Hebrew, or even the Latin. This is one of the terms, that the theological term, that actually comes from the Old English. And uh, if you want to know what atonement means, in your notes, literally, if you look at the word and kind of break it down, it means to be at one. To be at one with God, at one mint. The idea of being, you know, the, the, this noun of being that, that we are at one with God. So what does it mean to be atoned for? What's atonement mean? It means to be at one uh, in fellowship with God. Literally to be at one, to be made uh, with one with God. And so um, how salvation works. It's a fascinating thing. If you turn to Genesis, um, and you could read this whole story sometime. If you never had, it's a fascinating story of the, the fall of man. Genesis chapter 3 talks about the fall of humanity. That God made humans perfect. You know, in the Garden of Eden, they were just naked, chilling, eating fruit off the tree. It's like, you got to go to work to go, tomorrow? No, man, I'm naked. I'm just eating fruit off a tree. You got to go to school, learn something? Nah, man, I'm just going to sit here and eat fruit off a tree. I'm naked, no big deal. I mean, that's, it was like perfect you know, just a perfect life. You didn't have to do nothing. You didn't have to get up early. You just ate fruit, no clothes, no, nothing's needed. Just hang around, eat fruit. And there was a relationship with God. The coolest part is God was just right there and you could just talk to him and walk with him. And it talks about God walking with Adam in the cool of the evening. And it's just a relationship with God is a perfect life. And humans um, made a mistake. They sinned. 
They, they ate of a tree that God told them not to eat from. And at the, at there was punishment. There was retribution to be paid for. And Genesis chapter 3, verse 21 says something very interesting. It says, after this sin took place, uh, it says that they realized that they were naked. And then verse 21 of chapter 3 of Genesis said, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Now the skin, where does skin come from? Animal? Can you skin an animal without cleaning it? Without killing it, I mean? Can you skin an animal without killing it? I don't think it's possible. It'd be really messed up. <laughs> you have to kill an animal to get its skin. And so this idea that, okay, they sinned. They recognized they were naked and the Lord God killed an animal in order to make skin uh, for them to wear as clothing, to cover over their nakedness, to cover over their sin and that shame. And throughout the Old Testament, we have image after image of when, when someone committed a sin, what did you have to do? You had to bring an animal, like a, a sheep, a ram, lamb, uh, a bull, a bird, to the altar, and the priest would kill it, and blood would be spilt. And that's how, in the Old Testament, people's sins were atoned for. Can you imagine that happening today? PETA would have a heyday. It's like, oh, I committed another sin. Better go get a lamb, bring it before a priest, and the priest just kills it right there in a pretty gruesome way. Because, why? Because the wages of sin, the punishment of a sin, is death. And that is horrible. I mean, Peter should have a heyday with that. Because, like, what did the sheep do? Nothing. I mean, that's the point. The sheep is innocent. And, and so you killed the sheep because you made a mistake. That some sort of death had to happen to cover over a sin. And so that's how this, this idea of salvation works. If you, if you commit a sin, you bring an animal. And with a, your heart had to be in the right place. You couldn't just bring an animal. It was killed. Your heart had to be in the right place before God and know that this animal was killed because of your sin. If you've ever seen an animal killed, bled to death, it's not an easy thing to watch. It's, it's something very gruesome. You're looking at this innocent animal dying and, you know, it brings tears to your eyes. And I, This animal died because of a sin. This innocent sheep that was just hanging out in the pasture uh, was killed because of a mistake I made. And so you had to, you know, you kind of had to watch this animal being killed because of your sin. And, and the animals, so every time you sinned, you brought an animal to the Lord and, and the animal was killed. And it's like, couldn't there be one sacrifice to overall sacrifices so that you didn't have to keep bringing animals before the Lord? I'm going to show you a verse. It's fascinating. Turn to the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is uh, way in the New Testament in between the books of uh, Philemon and James. And I want you to specifically turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And I'm going to read the first seven verses of Hebrews chapter 10 because this is atonement. Atonement literally means how salvation works. How do we become one with God? So this is how atonement works, how salvation works. This is atonement. And so the law, the first the Hebrews 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 1 says, the law is only a shadow of the good things to come. This whole idea of the law is the Old Testament law, or, you know, the rules of what you're supposed to do if you commit a sin. You commit a sin, you're supposed to bring an animal to the Lord to, for it to be killed. And so listen to what this says. Hebrews 10, verse 1, says that the law is, is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities for themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeatedly, in, endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, they would have stopped being offered. Would, would they not have been stopped being offered? So if you commit a sin, 
you bring a sheep, the sheep is killed, then, then wouldn't you be good? I mean, if that really covered all your sins, you wouldn't have to bring another sheep, right? But it didn't cover all your sins. That's, that was kind of the point. And it says, For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt the guilt of their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into this world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. So Jesus, I mean, this is basic uh, Christianity 101. But, you know, from the percentages and stuff I talked about this morning, I'm sure there's just a lot of confusion about, okay, how exactly does salvation work? What is atonement? How are our sins atoned for? Well, our sins are atoned for because the blood of Jesus, as he died, is like that Old Testament lamb that was killed. But Jesus being God himself, perfect, was able to take away our sins once and for all. And so what do we do? Well, just like when we, in the Old Testament, when someone brought an animal before the Lord to be killed, and their heart and their faith were in the, the faith of that animal taking away their sins because of the animal's innocence. In the same way, our heart and our faith are turned to Jesus, that Jesus would take away our sins by his death. I found out something fascinating. I should have, I mean, I have my master's degree and I learned all this Greek and Hebrew and I never, maybe I heard it before, but I guess I didn't realize it. But did you know that the name Jesus literally means, and the etymology of, etymology is what a word means, where the word comes from. In the Hebrew, Jesus, in the Hebrew you would say Yeshua is how you pronounce it in Hebrew. You know what the name Yeshua means? It means Yahweh is salvation. So here's a, Uh, God born into this world. His very name is Yahweh is salvation. And we put our faith into Yahweh is salvation. We put our faith into Jesus that we we receive redemption, receive atonement for our sins. On the back of the skillet, we always put a a sweet quote of the day. And uh, the sweet quote of today is by a dude named Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King Jr. He's He's a cool dude as well. But this is Martin Luther, one of the guys who reformed the the church uh, back in the Reformation in the 1500s, did a lot for the Protestant movement as as we know it today. And he said this, it's a powerful quote that says, the life of of Christianity consists of possessive pronouns. Do you remember English class? You know what a possessive pronoun is? It's like my or our or, um, anyways. It is one thing to say, Christ is a savior. It is quite another thing to say, he is my savior. And then Martin Luther says, the devil can say the first one. The devil can say Christ is a savior, but only the true Christian can say the second, that he is my savior. I just want to end with this. uh, I guess it's the story of when I became a Christian, I know a lot of us have can can trace their you know a conversion to a moment in our life. And for me, it was December thirty first, nineteen ninety three. It was way back in the day. I had fluorescent clothes on. Probably had a mullet. Who knows? <laughs> Not much has changed. <laughs> Anyways, uh, uh, I know a lot of you can trace your salvation 
uh, experience to a moment. Others of you can trace salvation to more of a, you know, a walking with God and a decision. And right now you'd say, yeah, I know that I'm saved by the forgiveness of my sins, but I'm not sure if there was a moment. For me, there was a moment. I kind of want to tell you quickly about that moment because as I said, when I was a kid, I, I grew up with this thinking that I, w- I was saved because I, was, I went to church. And I went to church, that meant God loved me and I'm saved. And that's not how salvation works. I remember going to a Protestant uh, non-denominational youth group because some, some of my friends invited me to this youth group. Uh, it was pretty cool because the youth group had like all the cool kids were going to the youth group. Like, sweet, yeah, of course, I'll go to the youth group. All the cool kids are doing it. All the pretty girls are there. Why not, you know? And so I went to this youth group and uh, everybody was talking about, oh, you got to come to our ski retreat. You got to come to our uh, winter ski retreat up in the mountains. And I was like, oh, sweet. I asked mom and dad. Mom and dad are like, yeah, we'll pay for that. So I was like, yes, I get to go on a ski retreat. And I go in the ski retreat and it was a lot of skiing, a lot of hanging out, a lot of fun. But in the evenings, uh, it was two nights. In the evenings, uh, someone gave a message. The, the youth pastor gave a message. And he gave a message just about the simplicity of salvation. And he gave a message that I never heard before. And if you've been to church, you've probably heard a message very similar to this. He said, you know, when you die, you're going to go before God. And he painted this picture, this analogy of, uh, of a courtroom. And he said uh, that God is the judge. God is standing up. Uh, seated, seated at this judge seat, and he's up there. He's the judge, and you're uh, the defendant, and the one accusing you, the, the accusing attorney, is the devil himself. And the devil himself is bringing before God all these videotapes and all this evidence that you've sinned. And he's saying, look, here, here's Joe when he was five. Look, he beat up his brother. Look, here's Joe when he was six, six years old, beating up his brother. Here's Joe, seven years old, once again, beating up his brother. Here's Joe, eight years old, beating up his brother again. And it's like all the sins that you've committed in your life. And then here's Joe just a couple months ago, stealing a pack of gum. Here's Joe just a couple weeks ago, cheating on a test. Here's all these sins that, that I have done. And he's just, he, the, the pastor is preaching this message about the judge overlooking as Satan is bringing up all this video footage, all this evidence that I've sinned. And then Satan says, well, we all know that the wages of sin is death. And then God looks down and, and says, Joe, how do you plead? Do you, do you plead guilty or innocent? And I'm like, well, I, get, I mean, yeah, I committed that sin. I beat up my brother. I stole the gum. I cheated on the test. I did that. I'm guilty. So God looks down. He takes the, the gavel and, and he hits it. And he says, guilty. The wages of sin are death. You can't enter heaven. And the youth pastor that night ended with that. And I was just like, what? That's it? And, and he said, Tomorrow night, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you the rest of the story. And I, I had no clue. Like, I had perfect attendance for six years of my life. I'd been going to church all my life, and I couldn't finish the story that he was going to preach. And I remember later on that night, in my bunk beds, uh, back at the dorm room, with, there was like five other guys in a room. I remember asking the guy in the top bunk, dude, how, how do you think uh, the youth pastor is going to finish that story? What do you think is going to happen? And, and the guy must have thought I was joking. He said, yeah, right, like, like we haven't heard that one before. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's crazy, huh? Everybody knows that. Everybody knows what happens next, huh? And I remember just being like, what's going to happen? And the whole day just thinking, man, am I going to go to hell because I've, I've committed some sins in my life? And, and the next night, uh, on December 31st, 1993, uh, the, the youth pastor said, all right, you remember last night's story. You're, you're found guilty. The, God uh, slams down the, the gavel and says, you're guilty. The wages of sin is death. But here's the rest of the story. 
He said, the judge gets down from that, the, the high seat of the judge seat and comes down to the level in which you're seated. And he says, I will take, I myself will take the punishment for your sin. I will die for your sin if you just accept it. And I was like, as in that moment, 1993, I was like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. I had been to church all growing up and I, I couldn't finish the story of, oh, Jesus dies for our sin. It made so much sense to me. I was like, my whole life, I've been thinking, you know, what is, why Jesus on the cross? Yeah, he died, but, but how does that work? I don't know. And it just made so much sense to me. It was like an epiphany for me. It was a spiritual epiphany. It was this moment in my life where I just said, duh, yes, of course. I will accept the the death of Jesus on the cross for my sin because I've been held guilty and my punishment is death. But Christ took that punishment. It all makes sense to me. And in that moment, I was just like, yes, I received this as salvation. And I remember that, that night, the, the, the youth pastor saying, if you want to ex- accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you know, raise your hand. And, and I kind of did the half raise and, and, of, of my hand. I was kind of embarrassed about that. I didn't know that that was how salvation worked. But it was in that moment that I believe God, uh, that God and me started a relationship, a, a redeeming, atoning relationship for the forgiveness of my own sins. And so this whole month, we're going to get a lot deeper. Today's message was very, um, very, uh, I guess, foundational. But it's foundational for a reason, because I believe that so, so many of us are, would honestly say, yeah, I'm not really sure how that works. Well, hopefully today you have a little bit of a picture of how that works. Uh, next week, Noel Goodland is going to be here and, and speak a message about, okay, how do we live out our salvation? What's the, what's the deal with our works and, and grace? And later on, we'll get into... Uh, this month we'll get into salvation and more theology behind salvation and how it works and, and w- it works in grace and how to witness to somebody and, and uh, fun stuff like that. But let's close in prayer, shall we? God, we do come before you with, with this knowledge of, of how you redeemed us. God, let it, not, let it never just be an old information to us. Let the newness of salvation continually Re, re, redirect our heart, redirect our mind to you, that the knowledge, the saving knowledge that you, Jesus, are Lord, and you died for our sins. God, may that never just be old information to us. God, we want to be continually redeemed by the presence of yourself in our lives. And God, for those of us that, that maybe need to make a decision, God, would you impart to us your wisdom and your knowledge of how we are saved, how salvation works, the theology, the big words behind something so simple that that we are sinners, that you are a perfect God, but that you redeem us from our sins because of your death on the cross. And God, we leave here joyfully knowing that we can be saved, that we are saved by putting our faith in you. God, we love you and we praise you. And everybody said, amen.